This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you by Samovar Tea. Learn more at samovarlife.com and by listeners like you. To find out more and make a donation, please visit insideactingpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Inside Acting Podcast. My name is AJ Meyer. My name is Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, we interview casting directors, managers, actors, um, writers, filmmakers, marketing agents. experts, yes, uh, yes. directors, filmmakers, and uh, we package it up in a little podcast where we talk about uh, your questions and give our, you our pick of the week, and then we put it up on iTunes, and then you can download it. And I'm doing this weird thing with my hands, and Trevor really <laughs> wants to laugh. Uh, and then we deliver it to you. That would be the workflow. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and to that end, you know, AJ and I don't pretend to know everything. We always want to put this little disclaimer at the top of every episode because we are just two dudes with a podcast. You know, our careers are, are in still growing and building and we think they always will be. And uh, we don't have all the answers or purport to have all the answers or even the right answers. That's why we interview people who've been there and done that. And uh, if we say something on this podcast that maybe you guys don't agree with or you've had a different experience or you think we're just totally wrong get in touch with us there are a ton of ways to do it on our website insideactingpodcast.com and let us know we want to keep a conversation going absolutely so we've got a couple of voicemails to get to and we've got part one of an excellent excellent interview yeah with a really generous um amazing actor teacher director bjorn johnson uh who has a very interesting connection to inside acting which you'll find out in the interview so uh stay tuned for that All right, so we've got a few voicemails we wanted to respond to on today's episode, but before we get there, it's been a little while. I think our last, like, so AJ, what's going on with you kind of section was, like, back in, like, late October. So, yeah. AJ, what's going on with you? What's going on with you, Trevor? <laughs> Hello, Trevor. Um, what is... <laughs> what? <laughs> Who are these people I don't know, that man. have taken over our podcast? Get them out of here. <laughs> what's up? Uh, yeah, what, like a month? It's, it's, been? it's been a while, man. And you, just today, I saw on your Twitter that you booked a voiceover gig. What is, what man, is this? Man, I was going to save that to the next episode. Oh, I got all shit. kinds of stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, I did. I, bro- I booked my first uh, voiceover gig. Uh, Congrats, man. What's this thanks. for? It's a English as a second language d- CD. I kind of have to talk about something else. So, I'm oh, say- right, right on. Let's flip it around and so, I'll ask you that question later. No, no, no. It's related. Okay. okay. So, here's the story. Come with me on this journey, Inside Acting Podcast listeners. You can drop in some... I'm going to put in some some sound effects effects here, some music. Um, It's cold in the forest. (laughs) All this imagery. Like wind blowing. (laughs) No, okay, so about two weeks ago, I got uh, this very interesting email from a friend of mine saying, hey, we just lost an actor in a musical that I'm in Mm -hmm. uh, up in Malibu. Uh, do you think you'd be able to step in? I, I, I was like, what? You know? Uh, yeah, next weekend. So you want me to step into a musical that I don't know at all? 
uh, in a week and a half is what you're saying. 10 days. Yep. Okay. Uh, and I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> so I said yes. As so, if doing three war cycle shows in tandem wasn't enough. <laughs> now he's stepping into musicals with a week and a half notice. With a week rehearse. and a half notice, yes. Yeah. So I had 10 days and one dress rehearsal. And I went up for three performances of The Wild Party, the Lacusa version, if you want to look it up. Um, beautiful score. Originally on Broadway, starring Manny Patinkin and Tony Collette and Mark Kudish. Uh, had yeah, one, one dress rehearsal and did three performances. And what's funny is right before we started recording, I got there was a review in the Malibu Times and I got a mention because Booyah. I was standing in for <laughs> the other huge. guy. So, well, you, know, you know what I love about this is that you... you you are such a workhorse, dude. And I love that you do these kind of things because you say glutton for punishment and it is terrifying and you need to work your ass off. But do you know how many people are going to start equating your name with like dude who can jump in and do anything and is always going to be like the quintessential like pinch hitter actor who can like perform no matter what the circumstances are. That would be amazing. Well, you're building that (laughs) reputation for yourself. I mean, I I noticed I started thinking of you in that way about a year ago after like the fourth thing like this that you had done. Right on. Thanks. More power to you. I'm fist pumping right now. Fist pump, fist pump. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I gotta say, I mean, that, 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 one dress rehearsal that I had was a very interesting experience because I'm like running around on stage not entirely knowing what I'm doing and I so I had to sort of you know make choices on the fly and yeah you know I spent the whole week just learning to the uh, learning learning the songs and listening to the cast album and just jumped into this dress rehearsal and I, I I've never had an experience where it was like my goal tonight is to be adequate. I remember you said that to me, and I was like, what? But well, uh, It makes sense. It's like, my goal tonight is to be adequate. This is one of the situations where if you're adequate or standard, that is a raging success. That's right. Yeah. Well, eight, ten days, you know, what are you going right. to do? Yeah. So, that was a weird experience for me. I had mm-hmm. ne- that, like, what? Like, be okay. That's, that's basically, be mediocre. Not mediocre. But anyway, right, I, right, I right. just, like, basically stepped in. And so... That was a very odd experience, and I remember talking to a couple of friends of mine and being like, "Ah, it's not good enough for me. You know, I want to be, I want to be excellent, I want to be better." And so every night that I did the show, so I basically did it four nights in a row, one dress and three performances. And every night that I did it, I said, "I want to get better. I want to do this thing better tonight. I want to do this thing better tonight." I would focus on certain areas so that by the end, it felt like a very seamless, mm-hmm. you know, performance. And yeah. then I never get to do it again. <laughs> and how did it go? <clears throat> it went great. It went. Yeah. It went really well. Like I said, very strange experience, but it went really well. So my friend who got me that, uh, who who sort of gave my name to the producer and director, her uh, fiance is working on this. Um, we we both know her. Yeah, Charlene, she, you're talking she, about. Yeah, right? she yeah. was in the war cycle. Yeah, um, in wounded actually. Yeah, she her fiance is a filmmaker. He works on a whole bunch of different oddball production projects and mm-hmm. he is working on an English as a second language CD or DVD or whatever for people in Saudi Arabia. Cause isn't he shooting something over there right now? Yeah. He just got back. Okay. <clears throat> so this is, I don't know if this is a related project or something else, but I'm basically going to sit in his studio with a microphone in my, f- I'm assuming, I don't know. It, I, I'll find out tomorrow. I think is the game. Right. Uh, I'll find out. I'll sit in front of a microphone and I think do things like, Say the word apple, you know, <laughs> horse, book, door, infant, bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Infant, vacation, tractor trailer. 
I don't know if they have tractor. I don't know if they have tractor trailers in Walmart. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> oh, good. Well, they definitely have WalMarts. Right. They have a Starbucks. Taco Bell. Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's what it's going to be. Bed, but, bath, uh, and we'll beyond. Find out. But it's this funny thing happened in my head actually, where I was like, okay, okay, I need to uh, I need to drink lots of tea. I need to like go to bed early tonight. I need to take care of my vocal instrument, you know, because mm-hmm. that's all mm-hmm. I have. I'm. I can't uh, I can't rough it up. No karaoke for me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's hard for me to say, guys. You have no idea. So that was fun. I kind of just combined two stories. Um, so you've been busy. Into one. Yeah, busy. there's other stuff, too, that I want to talk about, but we have so much to get to that I could probably yeah. just table it to the next. Yeah. I had some really awesome audition experiences in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. that I want to talk about and share with our listeners because... I uh, I applied some of the things that we've learned from our guests. Well, let's let's talk and about I, about the one thing you had an audition on Monday. Yes, yeah, so I've had two pretty big auditions in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, one was down at the Old Globe in San Diego, which is the one where I actually learned, or I guess applied what I've learned from doing this podcast. And then the other one was the um, guest star spot on uh, this new NBC show called Harry's Law. So the audition at the Old Globe. Before I went in, I was sitting in the waiting room and feeling nervous, like we tend to do when things are important to us. And the person that I tried to channel was Neil McDonough. I said to myself, I get to act today, I get to perform, and I get to go in this room and see if we're going to make the best team, if our team is going to win the game today. I love that. You know what I mean? That's what I get to do. And I brought that in and it all of a sudden just lifted all this weight, all this pressure off of me. I had made solid choices. I knew that. And I was going to show them the choices that I made. And I went in and the director thought I did a great job. And he asked me if I wouldn't, be, wouldn't mind reading for another character. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I had just read the play the night before. So I was solid on that. Went outside the room for a few minutes. So I had some time with the script. Once again, just making, you know, split, split decision, you know, choices on, on what was there mm-hmm. and felt really good about my choices and went back in the room and just absolutely killed it. I mean, everybody was laughing. The readers were laughing. The director was laughing. The producer was laughing. The casting director was laughing. Everybody was laughing. It was it was awesome. It was just a really awesome audition. And, you know, he had me do it again and it gave me an adjustment to go further. And it was like unbelievable. And I remember walking out, of, you know, and they got up and like shook my hand and everything. It was ridiculous. Like the best audition I've ever had. And I remember walking out of the room and going, that's what that, that's what that is. We, we, yeah. we hit a home run together, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as a team. And just and, own, owning, <clears throat> owning the spotlight for that moment. You know what yeah, I mean? I mean, yeah, I mean or, t- team, yes, but I mean, like, they're there to see what you can do and yeah. how you can bring that together. And if you really own that, you just walk in with that energy that this is my time and I'm going to show you the, the choices that I've made, my ideas for this. Yeah. And you, see if it clicks. That's amazing. You know what helped along that same idea, vein, that same line, was what I was wearing. Because I went in just wearing a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. And, and some chucks. And I felt very myself, you know, and it reminded me of that thing that we heard at ActorFest. This was my favorite quote from episode 36. Great talent is being yourself in the room on stage and in life. Hmm. And Bjorn's going to talk about this in his interview too, yeah. just about yeah. uh, knowing yourself. That might be in part two, but it, you know, there was something about that, about like just knowing that I had made solid choices and I was just going to go in the room and be myself with a British accent. It, it felt like a culmination of a lot of the things that we've, you know, learned 
on the yeah. podcast and yeah. that just gave me it that gave me a whole bunch of con- and then <clears throat> by the way in case you're interested the next day my agent got a call they're interested they just because of equity rules they have to have auditions out of town so they have to go to new york but there's a good chance that i'm going to book this thing Wait, what is this for exactly uh the old globe down in san diego they're doing a play called rafta rafta which is a, a indian play asian indian uh play Working um, the uh, working the ethnically ambiguous <clears throat> angle. Well, I'm not done. So then the audition for NBC was for a Latino character. So I'm, I'm going down to San Diego to do an Indian Asian Indian character, and then coming up here to do this God. Latino character. Um, don't tell anyone, kids. I'm neither of those things. <laughs> I swear to Bob, if you say anything, I will come to your house. I will find you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So so it was it was very weird so then that was the strange thing about this one is i had to have an accent you know for the nbc audition and stuff and i i remember telling you trevor i was like i feel as though i'm being asked to play the guy with the eye patch and the limp already right, right, you know right. as opposed to going into the room as as myself so it was that was hard it was a really interesting experience but i felt like i carried that confidence from that previous audition with me and that audition went really well as well. There's all these like interesting details about how it went and yeah and stuff. But that's great. That we man. don't have time for. But that one went really well as well. And I, I walked out of there thinking, and I even tweeted about it. I was like, I think I definitely booked this office, even if I don't end up booking the role. That's great because I'd never been in to see them, uh, and it was my first audition for a guest spot. One the one little detail I will I will share is when I walked out the first time, they called me back in. Wow. And yeah, and I come back in and, and do it again, read they, another part. They wanted me to come back in and do uh, the first scene. There was three scenes. They only had me do two. Dude. They wanted me to do the first scene again with an adjustment, which I did. And then when I was done with that, they said, that was great. Why don't we just have you do the third scene since you're already, since we brought you back? It was really cool. But I just, I felt, I honestly, I'm not saying this because this is my podcast. I'm saying this because I've learned things from our guests. Mm-hmm. who we happen to have had on our podcast. I really felt like it was a solid combination of a lot of things that we've learned and just sort of embodying that confidence and just thinking like, I am an actor and I've made these choices and that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to show them my choices. Yeah. And that was the thing is like, they that the, the thing they had me adjust in that first scene was a choice that I had made. It was this thing where like I kind of laughed off of a, a, a line and it was a very specific choice that I made. And they noticed it. And even though they didn't think it was the right tone, they saw that I was an actor making a choice. And so they brought me back to see if I could make a different choice. And well, you know, this reminds me. I, I um, Glenn Morshauer is an actor who's been on... Uh, he was on 24. He plays like the senior uh, like Secret Service guy mm-hmm. to uh, the president on 24. Uh, he's on, been on Friday Night Lights. He's got like a really great career as a, as a kind of a serial guest star. And he, uh, I, I heard him talk. I was at my agency. We were doing this type workshop, very similar to Mark Atterbury's type thing. And Glenn Morshower just kind of popped in. He's not represented by my agency, but he's friends with my agents. And so he popped in and, and he gave like this little condensed version of the, this workshop he does called the Going the Extra Mile. And um, I've heard great things about it, but I haven't checked it out yet. But one of the things he said that really stuck out to me was he said, I want you to remove the word audition from your vocabulary. Ooh, why? He says, I want you to get that out of your head. He's like, you don't, you don't say, you know, I'm dating this girl. I'm going to go over to her family's house for Thanksgiving and audition for her parents. You don't do that. 
because you're not because audition carries with it this idea of approval for so many people. He says, "I want you to call them meetings from now on. You are going to a meeting where you are going to show a group of creatives your creative work. You're going to bring your ideas for this part and present that to them wow. and see if it jives. And if it doesn't, then great. That was a meeting. You, you had a creative meeting with somebody." You're not going in there to seek approval or do... And it sounds like that is exactly what you did, which it, I think is amazing. Congratulations. It is, but that still baked my noodle. Isn't that like great? 110%. Dude, knowledge bomb right here. <laughs> Put it in. Yeah, I mean, that. I, in fact, you know what? Let's do that on this podcast. Let's make a little pact right now to remove the word audition from both of our vocabularies, AJ, but also everybody who's listening Try it. Try it for a week or two and see how it feels. It, it, it's a subtle adjustment, but if you just put that in your brain enough times, you start to think about these things from a more powerful place. Wow. So if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> do it for your own, in your own, in your own mind. I mean, obviously yeah. all your representation is still going to call it an audition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in, in your own mind, don't, don't tell your agent, they're not auditions anymore. They're meetings. You know, they're going to think you're weird, but, <laughs> but in your own mind and, and you know, when you're talking to your friends and stuff, say I have a meeting and just to see what that feels like. Yeah. I've, I tried it on, off and on, but I'm actually going to make a commitment right now to only call them meetings. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> intense, man. That's, yeah. that's, uh, that's like, that's, career changing I'll see like I'll see if I can find a link to Glenn Morshower's uh, workshop which I have not attended but I've heard great things about and see if I can um, throw that up on the website for people to learn more about or bring him on as a guest oh I, I should what? totally do that I want to talk to Carl see if we can get Glenn on here nice great anything else going on I mean uh, there's a lot but it's yeah. I mean a lot of it has to do with this podcast and I want to know what's going on with you yeah um so much man I mean I, we closed the good prisoner the play that I was doing which, by the way, got critics picking backstage West and a go in the LA Weekly. Yeah, we got we got some really good press, <laughs> which was awesome, um, and and it showed in the audiences. We had a lot of people show up those last two weekends because of the press. It was you a little know, bit of validation. It, it was it was validation, and yeah. people really settled in. And for me personally, I only had like four rehearsals before we went into tech, because um, I only had a handful of scenes, and I was feeling really frustrated the first two weeks. I could not find my character's voice. I couldn't find the physicality. I couldn't find anything with it. I felt like I was going out there and acting and nothing felt natural or right. And I got so frustrated with it that I just started kind of getting a little crazy actor-ish and I would like fold into myself before the show and I would go out by the trash cans (laughs) behind the trailer and I would lay on the ground and stare up at the sky. And I didn't care that I was laying in a bunch of like dirt and like you know soda puddles that were dried up and stick i didn't care i just wanted to just be in, to get into this place for those of you who don't know that the play was takes place in kind of a a, a, a war-torn city so it, it was completely normal for my character to go, to go do this <laughs> um but i started doing that and i felt a little actor crazy weird but going on stage after that kind of thing it just i didn't have to pull anything out of myself it, all the energy was there i was already in the, that place and after about three or four nights of that, I just something something clicked, and I got to this really honest place where I didn't feel like I was acting anymore. I, it just felt like a very intuitive response to everything that Paige, the other actress on stage, was giving me, and I felt like I was able to trust that whatever came out of my mouth or however I reacted to whatever she said, whether it was dancing one night or laughing the next or crying the next or yelling the next, it just it felt right. You know that they, there's like a learning 
not curve, but like a model. They say that when you learn something, you make a huge, a little jump and you plateau for what feels like forever. Yeah. And then and you have to like work and work and work, work and, and work and work. And, work, and, work, and, work, and, work, and it feels you like you're not making any more advancement, any yeah. advancement. And then you make another jump, another breakthrough, and then you have another plateau. And I feel like I just made one of those little jumps in my work. I found this really honest place that felt so good to you, be there. You felt, you felt that way about your acting work as a whole or just your, your character my, and your involvement in this one well, show? Well, first, my, my character in the show. And I'm hoping, as, as my acting work as a whole, I had an audition uh, last week for a, a pilot. You had a what? I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I had a meeting. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, I had a meeting last week for a pilot. Um, and I was just like, I, with that kind of honesty, that, that honest place kind of fresh in my, my head, I, I just I tried to bring that into the room with me and just respond intuitively. I think that I was able to bring some of that into the room when I, when I did that. And I had to sing and play guitar in this one, too. It was a good kind of breakthrough in a very subtle way kind of week for me. That's awesome. And that all came from doing theater, baby. That doing, all kind of grew out. And, and, and it was in that moment on that, on that on stage where I kind of felt like I was finally being honest. I didn't have to push anything. Uh, let's jump into these voicemails. We've got two we want to get to. The first one is from Josh Wygand. I think we're. I hope we're hearing that right. So, um, thanks for calling, Josh. Let's uh, give this a listen. Uh, my question, my question for advice is uh, that my old manager company has already offered to throw me up on their roster for submission, and which I highly appreciate. And I. My question is, do I use them now as a way to get my foot in the door and, you know, that they send me out on whatever small submissions uh, that they see fit for me as a courtesy, or do I wait um, and wait to cash this chip in uh, until I hmm. built myself up a little on my own with whatever auditions and callbacks and bookings that I can attain for myself, you know, through my own submissions and you know, the seminars and the classes that I, you know, get through the Actors Connection and Network and one-on-one and, you know, the relationships that I can build up on my own. Wait till I build myself up, wait till I, um, you know, have gotten, you know, some, some solid bookings, some solid relationships and solid callbacks, and then, you know, then cash in this chip where I feel like it might be more valuable. Huh. Well, thanks for calling, Josh. That That's an interesting question. I, I'm really interested that he used the word that the, the phrase cash in mm-hmm. um because in in that's, exa- key, that's in, so funny because that's exactly what i'm yeah ho- we, if we're more and more on the same wavelength the longer we do this um we're starting to be able to like read each other's minds a little bit it's kind of scary um keith ferrazzi in his book never eat alone has a whole chapter on this uh he says you should never look at your relationships as a business transaction mm-hmm. um i'm not saying that josh is but the fact that he used the term cash in is very telling mm-hmm. um it's not relationships typically don't come in a finite amount. Right. You know what I mean? But it sounds like the, the root of his question is, should I wait till I get a few more credits before I take the next step and work with a manager? Or should I just jump in and start working with a manager right away? Right. As if it's a one shot deal. No, don't wait. If they want to work with you, then work with them. What's, what's your take on this? AJ? I, I agree with you 110%. I, we were both focusing in on the same thing for similar reasons, but kind of looking at it from a, from two different angles. Like you mm-hmm. were saying, like, don't look at it like a business transaction. The thing that I was thinking about is like, when you say, should I cash in this chip? What, 
what is the chip? What do you mean by that? Like, yeah. are you are you afraid that if you start working with them now that you're going to use up some like political capital that's not going to be there a few months from Later? now when yeah. you're still, you know, kicking butt and doing what you're doing? You are by your own admission an extremely hardworking actor. Uh, managers and agents want to work with extremely hardworking actors. Mm-hmm. It makes their job easier. It makes their job more fun. And it makes them uh, know instantly that you are a serious about doing this. Keep in mind what Trevor was saying about it not being a business transaction. And don't feel like you're cashing anything in that's finite. Yeah, you're not using anything up. You should be seeking representation Right now, even if you didn't have this relationship, this pre-existing relationship, mm-hmm. you if like let's say you never interned at a management company before, but you were doing all these other things that you said in your voicemail, mm-hmm. you should be going out and seeking representation. Yeah, right now. <laughs> Amen. But thank you for calling, Josh. That was a, that was a good question. Um, I would encourage you if you can re- check out Keith Ferrazzi's book, Never Eat Alone. It's all about building, really building bulletproof relationships. And um, there's a chapter in there that I think you that, that pertains to your question, but also it's just a really good read. Awesome. So this next uh, voicemail comes to us from uh, Brent in Minnesota. I audited the class a while back, and uh, it was from an alumni from the school I'm at in Minnesota. And he's been out in LA for about 10 years, and he's been working pretty steadily. And uh, he made a comment to me, um, said that I'm getting to be that age where casting directors start looking at your resume, your resume and start wondering why there aren't too many professional credits. Uh, I was 23 when he said that to me. I'm 24 now. I'll be moving out here uh, to LA in the spring. And so I'm a little concerned and uh, wondering if you guys have any thoughts on whether or not, you know, that's starting to be pretty old uh, in terms of getting some professional credits. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling in, dude. Uh, AJ, I know you have a reaction to this right off the bat. So, Yeah, I had a bit of a visceral reaction when I heard your voicemail the first time, Brent, which is that I really dislike the, what this person said to you, um, mostly because of things that we've talked about in the podcast before about how there's no such thing as like your career needs to start at X, Y, and Z time. This is tied into to some of the things we were talking about earlier with my auditions. Uh, I was thinking after my audition for NBC that if I didn't book it, I booked the office and that was okay. And, and I was thinking, I, you know, maybe I wasn't right for the part or whatever. And then I realized that when you book something, it is the perfect combination of you being uh, the right actor for the right role. Meaning you made choices that were good for that role, good for that character, your look was good for that character, and they were looking for someone like you. If anything, casting directors like finding new actors. Mm-hmm. They feel this great sense of pleasure, like they discovered you. So you're 25. I mean, I'm I'm 26, and I have one television credit on my resume. So please, please, please take this piece of advice with a grain of salt. I don't know what, what you have to add. Trev. Yeah, well, there, there is validity to that concern. But I think that, that questions or concerns or, or statements like his friend made to him uh, like that are founded on the idea that you cannot build a relationship with people. Does that make sense? 
like you like there's a like there's an age limit to to making to building relationships or something yeah like they're gonna look at your resume and say nope and then discount you forever right you know it's like right it's like they, he's 32 years old and he's only got one tv credit on a soap opera it's under under five like nope forget it he's not an actor you have to just commit to being in this for the long haul and doing and just acting, you know, doing doing whatever kind of work you can. Do 99-seat theater. Do student films. Do web series. Do background work. Just keep at it and then find those people that cash those shows you want to be on and build relationships with those offices. And they'll see you over time, not as an actor who doesn't have any credits, but as an actor who is working his ass off. And when you come in to, to audition, to, to meet, <laughs> <laughs> yes. when you come in to meet with them, and you knock their socks off every time. That's what. That's how careers are started. I mean, yes, you do have the people who come off the bus, walk in the room, and they are, some by some magic, you know, fate of the gods or whatever. They they are cast in a lead role in a James Cameron film. That happens, but it's so rare. This, like any other business, is founded on trust. Everybody, here, here's here's the thing. I'm realizing the longer I'm out here, everyone out here is scared shitless. <laughs> okay, pardon my language. Everybody out here is scared shitless that the project they are working on right now is going to be their last. That includes the big wigs, the James Camerons, the Steven Spielbergs. Everybody is going. Oh my god! If this next project isn't good, is not received well, I may be out of a job. It's not just actors that have to deal with that. So. Be consistent, you know, be consistent with being in touch with them. Um, be consistent with your work. Always improve. Do as much as you can. And this whole like idea that, yeah, at first they may look at you and say, he's 27 years old. He hasn't, doesn't have any credits. He must be doing something wrong. That's going to be their initial thought. You can prove that. You can prove them wrong very, not easily, but you can do it. You can always change their minds about that just by working hard. Uh, more and more I'm learning that getting in the room is like uh, the hardest part and that once you're in the room it's like it doesn't matter you could have a black and white headshot that you printed on college ruled lined paper and you know a resume with two credits on it and then have a kick ass audition Mm -hmm. and they are going to call you back and they are going to cast you not because you know your headshot was you know a certain way or because you had a certain amount of credits or you know certain training the, you that kind of stuff gets you in the room. Mm-hmm. Once you're in the room, your audition gets you cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and show them that you're that you're fun and easy to work with. Don't you know? Don't go in there and be a diva. That that goes without saying. I don't. I'm not assuming that you would be brand or that anybody that listens to this podcast would be. But that's a huge part of the equation too. Yeah, be comfortable. Definitely. Be yourself. Acting. Mark Atterbury said it. Acting is autobiography. Be yourself. Express that character through yourself and do a good job time and time again. And and you're gonna you're you're gonna get cast. It, I mean, that's how it works. You have to work your ass off. You have to be patient. But it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Brant, send us an email when you get out here, man. I'd love to uh, to to meet you in person and, and yeah. let's hang out. Yeah, and and if anybody who's listened to these responses that AJ and I have just had and want to chip in their two cents, disagree with us, think that there's more to add, think that we're on the wrong track, whatever. Let us know. Let us know. We don't pretend to know the answers to, to everything out here. But um, based on our experience talking to the guests we've talked to and, and doing what we've been doing for a couple of years, more than a couple of years out here, uh, that's, that's, that's our, our response. That's our response. <laughs> All right. Well, we uh, have been talking for a very long time. We have. So we're going to jump into uh, part one of our interview with uh, Bjorn Johnson. So uh, look him up on IMDb and enjoy uh, part one of the interview. 
All right, guys, welcome back. So uh, Trev and I are sitting here with uh, actor Bjorn Johnson, who uh, got to start uh, doing a lot of musical theater in New York, which I'm really excited to talk to him about, and uh, has been in Los Angeles for uh, a while now, and uh, you can look him up on IMDb. He's got a, a great uh, list of credits, um, but we're really grateful to have him on the podcast. So welcome, S- Bjorn. Some of which are mine, the credits. I the mean. credits, <laughs> some of which are you totally bogarted them from somebody else. Um, <clears throat> awesome. So I, I have to start out, to, we, I want to hear, we always like to start out with our guest talking about you know where they got their start and, uh-huh. and that kind of thing, but I definitely want to mention right off the bat that you have a very interesting connection to inside acting because you were college roommates with one of our previous guests, J.K. Simmons. Actually, we were roommates in New York, kind of like uh, uh, Wally Cox and Marlon Brando. And I guess in this situation, I'm pretty sure I'm not Marlon Brando. (laughs) (laughs) um, I was just about to ask, who's the Brando? Yeah, no, it's definitely me. J.K. and I met uh, doing Peter Pan. Uh, We we are both uh, pirates in a production in State College, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was also uh, the dog and the crocodile, Ooh. <laughs> and he was he ah. was he was pirate Sharky or something. So you guys weren't necessarily college roommates, more like production roommates. Yeah, more like yeah. And then yeah. and then I was living in New York. Um, Kathy Kinney, who was in uh, Drew uh, Drew Carey's show, ah yes. Um, and I lived in a building coincidentally that had had a, an enormous fire in it, and I was in the front of the building where where the fire was, and my apartment was gutted. So I was squatting in an apartment as part of the uh, 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 resistance against the landlord who's trying to drum us out of there. So I was living in someone else's apartment to keep it occupied so that the landlords wouldn't bust in and break the place up and living there for free. And uh, JK <laughs> was looking for a place like, well, come and. Squat with me. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're, you're squatters, basically. <laughs> we are squat mates. We are no, 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 squat actually mates, roommates. Not roommates, roommates, squat mates. Yeah. Squat mates. Yeah. <clears throat> but awesome. that, was, that was several years ago, and, and I'm delighted to say that we're still very close friends. So why don't we talk about uh, New York a little bit, or at least tell us you know, sort of where you got your start, um, where you went to school, if yeah, yeah. you went to school. I started really acting as a kid uh, in Minneapolis and later Chicago. As uh, After we got to Chicago, I was in third grade, my father... Uh, changed his career and became a college professor so it was easy to transfer my experience as a a kid in Minneapolis where you know the Guthrie's there and I was in something that later became the Minneapolis Children's Theater which is an incredible organization to this day I went to church uh, across the street from the Guthrie Theater so we had an incredible musical theater program at this church and that was a stone's throw across the street from the Guthrie so it was easy to mine people out of the out of our little kids uh, uh, program there for the, for Guthrie Productions and that was uh, fortuitous then in, in Chicago I just started doing the shows for, at, the, at the college and then other colleges and you know there weren't that many uh, third graders who had acting experience <laughs> so, there still um, aren't believe it yeah. <laughs> so I you know I, 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 I guess it was probably good for me that I wasn't in New York or, or Los Angeles in, in certain ways because I didn't full-on have that acting kid experience sure, uh, sure. but I did get a lot of experience acting which is great and with some really wonderful wonderful actors then I moved to uh, I, I didn't do any acting at all in junior high <laughs> I, I took a hiatus I said I've got to concentrate on my studies uh, but I, I was writing plays those three years and direct them in, in, in school high school came along and uh, high school age I got back into it again thought I might do 
something adult like international relations, but realized that I couldn't support American foreign policy um, and at the time and uh, in the in the 70s. And uh, happened to go to New York to see Colleen Dewhurst and Ben Gazzara doing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And realized sitting in that production as I was incapable of leaving my seat that uh, doing anything other than this was just a lie. The uh, house manager came down to kick us out and saw me and my friend sitting there in in tears, <laughs> you know, a mess. And he's like, you kids have got to, oh, uh, would you like to go backstage and meet Miss Dewhurst? <laughs> uh, yeah. So he t- we're at the Music Box Theater in New York, takes us around to the alley, and there's probably 40 people standing outside, and Miss Dewhurst is taking people in like four or five at a time, and there's probably about... 16 of us left eventually and she comes out and says I'm so sorry it's been so wonderful to have you all here I would love to talk to each and every one of you but I have to go and okay so I go next door to Charlie's which was there at the time to meet my friend Charlie who had graduated early from high school and was coming down from Boston to crash in my hotel room with me and I'm standing out front of the theater and who comes walking up the sidewalk it's Colleen Dewhurst you know so I step out to her and I say Miss Dewhurst I, you know, I never do this I never bother anyone because I'm an actor I understand I don't want to pass to you, but I just saw the show tonight. It was just the most incredible thing. Breaking <laughs> the tears again, and she goes, "Oh my god, you know what are you doing? I'm waiting for my my friend Charlie. It's going to meet me." And she goes, "Let's go inside." So we sit down. I'm 19, which was legal at the time, and so she, you know, we sit down. And the waiter comes over. Hi, hi, Miss Dewhurst. What do you like? She goes, "I'm having a gin and tonic. What are you having?" Like gin and tonic sounds great. <laughs> so I sat there and had three rounds of gin and tonic with Colleen Dewhurst, and wow, sort of uh, really solidified the epiphany that this is what I. Had had to do you know and just to, to button the whole story uh, years later I worked together with her uh, doing Cherry Orchard at oh my Williamstown. god perfect yeah and she professed to remember the experience to me that seemed I was incredulous because it just seemed like that was such ancient history but only recently did I think back to realize that that experience happened when I was 19 years old and I was working at Williamstown with her when I was probably 22 23 so it was, you know, for me, that was like such a long time ago. For her, it was 20 minutes. So it's right. possible she remember. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I finished college in Chicago. And knowing the whole time I was going to be an actor, I told my parents, my parents really wanted me not to go to New York right out of high school. So I said to myself, well, I'm a year older than everybody I've always gone to school with because I flunked kindergarten. So I can go to college for three years and I'll still be like right on a par with all the people just graduating college at my age. And, you know, I, I legitimized it that way. I finished college in three years. So went out with my parents' agreement and... uh Went to Circle in the Square. And uh, so I was in New York and doing all these auditions. I went to the Circle in the Square audition. It was like old home week. It was just, I felt so, you know, they're like, oh, you're from Chicago. Where? Oh, I'm living on Austin Avenue in Oak Park. I'm from Austin Avenue. You know, and the, the, the director of the theater school, Mary Kearney Levenstein, was, you know, had lived two blocks from where I was living. And it seemed faded. I was studying there and I really took to the stage combat. And B.H. Barry took me on as an apprentice. And I apprenticed to B.H. for uh, six years. Um, before he recognized me as a as a fight director, and that was a big part of my career in New York. Um, when I graduated from Circle, I was it was like I still do, I guess. I was in a lot of different pots. I was I was a fight director. I was doing musicals, as you mentioned. And Jay, I was doing a straight. I was doing Shakespeare and straight plays, improv, and some sketch comedy, and you know, kind of in all these different areas. And and it was uh, it was great fun. I uh, 
started off right after school, during school and right after school, I, I uh, supported myself painting apartments. And because I was working at Williamstown in the summer, I knew really great people who needed their apartments painted and kind of for a little while was kind of a, a apartment painter to the stars. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, like a new reality show to me. <laughs> I need that job like right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very quickly, I got to start paying myself as an actor, you know, getting paid as an actor. I did that for a long time. And I love New York. And when I decided to leave New York, most of my friends were flabbergasted. I was, I was the guy who was not going to leave New York. I, I had gone out on, on Les Mis for 22 months. And when I came back to New York, I felt like I'd kind of fallen off of... I wasn't was that all- your was that your first paying gig? No, Les Mis or no, what? No. Like w- when you graduated from Circle, what? <clears throat> I'm curious to know more about that sort of the transition, transition into yeah. like I'm now I'm 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 making my living. I'm not an apartment painter anymore. I'm making my living as an actor. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with me on this, Trev, but I think the 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 only word I can think of is like pay scale. Like the way in which actors are paid nowadays seems to be way different you know and we've, we talked about with Alan Barton that like even the residuals you know structure is going to completely go away it's going to completely explode you know here in the next what? few years because of the, <laughs> yeah, because of the internet I'm curious to know, well, you know even even then, more even more distinctly back then in the 80s uh, you know, it was network television, and if you got a commercial, you knew conservatively you were going to make thirty thousand dollars on a commercial. Right. Conservatively, thirty thousand. That, that's if it wasn't like a real goer. In comparison, uh, specifically in two thousand five, I shot twelve national spots and two regional spots, and in total that year, I made uh, less than than sixty thousand. Wow, on 12, well, 14. 14, 52, 14, 14 spots. spots. You know, it doesn't mean that they all run, but, you know, it's really changed. It's Because, right. you know, they, they made the cable deal uh, thinking that at the time when cable was public access and the Robin Bird. And, right. you know, we kind of get paid still on cable as if it's just public access and Robin Bird. There's the, I know our unions are working hard to try to... Manage the change in technology, and yeah. it is really tough. I, I think you're right. I think the scale has, has has slid a lot. Although at the same time, there's probably wider spread opportunity. Perhaps I'm saying that anecdotally, not not with any. No, the opportunity's there, and that's actually something that we've talked about on the podcast before as well. That you know, because you have um, you know, democratization of distribution, as it were. You know, with the internet, like you can basically take you know any. Um, you know, project that you're working on and 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 sell it to an infinite number of people because you know you have the internet to distribute it with. So yeah. there's definitely a lot more opportunity. But I think it's interesting that the transition now from I paint apartments for work mm-hmm. to now I'm a working actor um, seems to be almost one that ha- you have to kind of uh, uh, make happen yourself. If that well, makes let, any let's sense? let's consider that uh, uh, for a second because I think I think it is really valid. <clears throat> Uh, and it's and it's part of artist life. First of all, deciding to be an artist, and I do like to use that word. I know that in I know that in Los Angeles, specifically, and I think in modern times in general, people shy away from the idea of considering that we are artists, but we are. You know whether you like it or not, and so we are doing something that's outside of of pack mentality. You know, we as we, as hum, human beings, we're designed. As pack animals, we're we're very concerned with how we are regarded by the pack, and like 
like wolves when one falls shy of the pack another wolf runs back and bites at to pull it up into the pack and and when one runs ahead of the pack they also nod him to pull him or her back into the pack and we as human beings do that too by making fun of the kid in grade school who got a failing grade or by teasing the the brainy you know, brainiac you know to pull people back in but being artists we're doing something that's not part of the pack and decide to make our living doing it is taking risks that you know are, are stepping outside of support structures that are traditional so it's hard an artist has to understand that they're making a, 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 a maybe a, a more circuitous path toward the goal of their life than other people are. So it's no problem. It's important that an actor, that an artist has a gig. You know, you've got to be able to support this thing that you're doing. And there's no shame in, in, in doing that. What's difficult is when the survival mechanism overwhelms the goal of, of creating your, your life as an artist. So it's great that someone is working in a restaurant. There's no problem with that. It's a problem if they're not doing plays or shooting films because their shift is not convenient. I teach an acting class. I like to talk to the younger. I have, I have much more experienced older people in my class, but I do have young people who are just getting going, and it's important that they understand that it's great to have a gig. There's no shame in making 100 bucks on a shift. Uh, but that you have to keep your priorities straight. And one must always remember why one is doing the survival gig. Yeah, that's awesome. We, that's, it's actually interesting that you, because we, this is something we've actually talked about on the podcast multiple times. Oh, cool. We even had a whole episode dedicated to uh, what we call thrival, what we were calling thrival jobs. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody's ever put it in those uh, physiological terms the way that you just did uh, about the pack mentality yeah. and the survival and how, you know, sometimes your survival mecha- mechanism kicks in and actually takes over your creative um, mechanisms, yeah. I guess, as it were. You know, when I was at, when I was at Williamstown, I was, uh, I guess it was the summer of 70... Nine, maybe summer of 80, uh, I had the great pleasure of working with Richard Dreyfus, And we were doing uh, Whose Life Is It Anyway? And John Badham was directing. And uh, they were basically making the transition from the play that they'd done on Broadway with Mary Tyler Moore to the film that John Badham was going to make with, with Richard Dreyfus. One evening at the speakeasy that uh, Michael Quill and I used to run called um, The Zoo, uh, Dreyfus was standing there and we had a moment and I said to him directly, like, look, I'm going to ask you the question, man. You know, What's your advice? Tell you know, give me give me your piece of wisdom, like flat out, just naked. Just what do you got to tell me? And he says, act. He says an actor acts. That's what you got to do. He says do do everything. He goes, don't do something against your principles. Like I'm not saying you know if you don't feel good about porn, you have to do porn. But he says, but you know, take every gig you get a chance to do. say yes. And if it, that's the thing with the survival job is that if you find yourself prioritizing their survival job out of fear that there's an adjustment to be made because part of the reason why we take restaurant jobs shopkeeping jobs personal assisting babysitting a limo driving all the things that people do painting apartments to survive to to support our, our, ourselves is just to support ourselves and when our fear of that what what those things give us we're giving up safety we're giving up security for flexibility by being a waiter by being a painter you're giving up making more money you're giving up security for flexibility and when you start sacrificing your flexibility that's prohibiting you from from acting in order to acquiesce to the needs and wants and desires of your survival gig 
that's a that's a problem. That's not workable. I was I was painting and auditioning, painting and auditioning, and also when I wasn't painting, I was apprenticing to B H at B H Barry. And so we were teaching at the Juilliard School, Circle in the Square, NYU Graduate School, periodically at Yale. I was following him to rehearsals on his Broadway shows and regional theater shows, working at the opera. And I was what I was doing the whole time was following the greatest piece of advice, one of the one of the single great piece of advice pieces of advice I got again from Colleen Dewhurst from that first conversation. And she had said to me, and I wished I'd followed this more stringently than I did, but she had said to me, you just do something for your career every day. Mm-hmm. Just do something every day for your career. I had, didn't have the personality that was uh, very given to sitting by myself and working on monologues. I didn't have the personality that was very given to piling through uh, mailing lists and that kind of thing. So I found BH to go with, and I was more communal, and that, that worked for me. And I did that every day, and that helped me meet a lot of people and get into a lot of community. So the transition from the painting to, to not painting was just a matter of being available to audition and auditioning for everything I possibly could that I just started booking. And, you know, the more I booked, the less I had to paint. And <laughs> and it was tough sometimes, too, because I, uh, auditioning for singing, I'm a tenor. I was a tenor. And I was painting, which means I was also sanding and working with drywall, wow. which goes right on the vocal cords. So it was this incredible kind of juggling technique. Sometimes I'd have to get up much, much earlier in the morning in order to have a break long enough to try to get some of the gypsum off of my throat but i was fortunate i was I, you know i've been very lucky i've always worked for the for the vast majority of the time except for a brief period here in los angeles where i acquiesced to the wants and desires of a, a woman i was in love with at the time i've never had any other gig besides from my talents as an actor or as a fight director or as a as a coach or as a you know like in in the business and i've been really really lucky that way but I mean, how much of that do you think, like for me, I, I don't, I, you know, we, we, we just met very recently. Yeah. You know, I attended your acting class last night, which I definitely want to talk about as well. Uh, you know, I, we, we don't know each other that well, but I can sort of tell in what I know about you, the conversations that we have had, that you're sort of, um, you, you seem like a person who's, ma- who's making their path as well. So how much of that, you know, nonstop work do you think is like you being like, okay, well, I, maybe I don't have an acting gig right this moment, but I'm going to go do something yeah. about that. You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of working with good people, sort of uh, um, taking the opportunities to rise. I work a lot in the theater in Los Angeles. I do a lot of 99-seat theater. Now, this nine, that's a whole other, we can have a whole session on talking about 99-seat theater and I think yes. that would be a great thing to we do. Have. Oh, yeah. We have. Because Trevor know. and I do that a lot. We have our own theater company. So. Right. And part of the part of the challenge, as you know, having the company is that the 99-seat theater construct is not a viable business model and, and you can't get paid as an actor to work in the 99-seat theater. But doing it for the love, doing it for the passion, doing it for the fun, doing it for the community, doing it for the practice are all really good. And I've done, I've seen some and I've done some of the best theater that I've ever done or seen in the 99-seat arena. And part of the part of the excitement about that is that you can just do things. Part of the frustration about that, there's been a number of productions. Uh, two years ago, I directed a production of Light Up the Sky at the Open Fist Theater. That was so much fun. 
And a couple, uh, several years before that, I directed a production of Dutchman, um, a completely independent production. That Amiri Baraka came out and said that it was the best production that he'd seen since he read it, re- since he wrote it, and sent me some of his later work after that. And I got to be friends with him through that. And I know in those instances that. If I had done those productions, if those productions had been mounted in, say, New York or even Minneapolis or Chicago, it would have changed the careers of the people in those shows. It would have changed the, the trajectory of my career. But it was in the 99-seat arena in Los Angeles. Though they were hits, quote-unquote hits, and though people came to see them and really had a great time, there's a different consideration about the impact and importance of theater to our community here. Part of that affords us a great amount of freedom because you just are you just are doing it for the very essential reasons of joy and sharing and generosity and fun and excitement. Period. You know, it, it, the people who are doing the showcase it's you can smell it before you even <laughs> approach the theater. We, yeah. You hate that, right? We've who doesn't about that. who doesn't who doesn't freaking well hate that? Yeah. Right, and it's it's yeah. it's awful. But on the other hand, like I just, what, I, I saw a couple shows. I saw I saw a show at theater of note, uh, just uh, uh, t- uh, last week. Um, gosh, I wish I had the title. Something about skeletons. It was about the Day of the Dead. Uh, amazing, amazing production crammed into this little tiny space. It was a, it was like a full on proscenium arch size production. You know, they had costumes changing everywhere <laughs> and and they went to they went to hell and back and and magic and and i mean and all done in a 99 seat theater and i and i wept i also not not just because they're my own company but i went to see uh uh rock and roll which is the west coast premiere of the tom stoppard play which mm-hmm. is at the open fist mm-hmm. and i wept i might like my shoulders shaking i wept in the in the course of watching this show i'm not intending to do uh, a commercial to promote my theater. I'm intending to promote good acting and good writing. Here's a Tom Stoppard West Coast premiere play, and for their second weekend, they had they had a healthy audience. But you know, if it, it was done in another city, the, the 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 premiere of a Tom Stoppard play, I can't imagine that in other cities I've lived in that people wouldn't be there just because of that. Which is not to say I got to direct a, a world premiere of a, a Neil Labute play called the uh, called the New Testament, and it was really wonderful working with Neil on on that. He he was two one X. He was directing one, I was directing the other, and mine was a premiere, and we had a ball. And yeah, people turned out like crazy for a Neil Labute play. But I imagine that's not just because he's such a fantastic playwright and because he has such an incredible way with language, but also because people recognize him here in Los Angeles as a filmmaker. And so that marriage uh, with film here is really the, the magic magic place, or at least television. All right. Welcome back, guys. Hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Bjorn Johnson. Part two is coming next week in episode 38. And I think um, I think that just about does it for yeah, episode we 37. It this we, big we, episode. This was a big kind of chock full of stuff episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, so, uh, uh, in the meantime, please get in touch with us. As Trevor said earlier, if you disagree with anything we say or want to add something to what we say, we've got a ton of ways to get in touch with us. Um, send us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. 
you, you can uh, give us a call, leave us a voicemail, which we can play in the podcast at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. You can tweet at us at uh, twitter.com slash insideacting or our individual accounts. I'm at twitter.com slash digitalactor. And I am twitter.com slash Algott. You can uh, leave us a review on either actorrated.com or iTunes. That's right. Uh, both of those links are on our website. And you can also um, check out our Facebook page. You can like us on Facebook and, and join the community of... We are so close to 600 uh, fans, you know, quote-unquote fans right now on Facebook. We, we, we busted through 1,000 followers on Twitter, so let's do the like, same Like thing. with <clears throat> momentum. Like yeah, we steamed yeah, yeah. right through that. It's and because so. of, it was because of ActorFest. We were just under 1,000 right before ActorFest, yeah. and then that kind of... But oh. it, it was awesome. And I, I'm really... I'm trying to go back and follow everybody that, that followed us. I want to make sure that, that, you know, you guys get a follow out of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And... Um, uh, and on Facebook, yeah, just hit that like button, man. I mean, we're, we're trying to really have that be a, a community of actors where you guys can, you know, ideally find people to help, you know, crew your film, or your web series, your short project. You can bounce ideas off one another. We're, we're working on building that community up. Yeah, definitely. And we've also set up a link for the Broadway World SoCal Awards on the oh, website. Yeah. Um, How could we forget that? Uh, which is really cool. Like, we, there's a whole separate page just for that, so you can yeah. vote the inside acting party line if you'd like. <laughs> That's um, right. It's up to you. Obviously, we're not forcing anybody's hand, but uh, yeah. you know, we'd appreciate it. Because if you really want to kick us some love, uh, vote for us. Yeah. If you th- if you've been thinking about donating and just like can't find the uh, the there extra you go. Cash if you cannot donate, yeah, you, you haven't called in in a while. You haven't Don- sent us an email. Donate Take, a click. Donate, 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 donate a few clicks. Actually, donate we've got a whole like a whole like list of ways you can vote, um, and they're they're you know it's a disclaimer. It's it's all for us. It's all for our ensemble. But um, we'd love to win one of those yeah awards and get It'd be that amazing. So the list of what we were nominated for is on the website. Yeah. So check that out. And then uh, lastly, but not least, Lee, you can uh, <laughs> donate to Inside Acting Podcast. Um, as you guys know. Um, and for any first-time listeners out there, this is a podcast that we do completely out of pocket. This is all self-financed right now, um, with the exception of the donations that we've been getting for the past year, which have been fantastic. But uh, this is this is the membership drive part of the the podcast where we we say if you find value out of this, you know, donate your money, give us your money, basically, because <laughs> um, we do have a lot of things we need to recoup. Um, a lot of costs. We have, you know, file server costs. We have um, costs for equipment. We have mileage costs. We, the, the time that we put into this podcast is quite a bit, you know. So um, it, it helps to be compensated in that. And literally, we would not be going right now if it weren't for generous people sending us their money. Um, so if you want to be one of those generous people, you can do that too. You can uh, you can do a one time donation um, right off uh, on our website, or you can do a uh, monthly subscription. So you can kick us three bucks, five bucks, ten bucks. We've got a couple different levels of, of membership there. Um, every penny counts, and we are working on ways to thank you guys for uh, for supporting the podcast. All right. So before this episode gets any longer, <laughs> my name is Trevor Algott. <laughs> I'm AJ Meyer. Uh, have a great week, and in the meantime, take care of yourself and each other. <laughs>